Hey, good morning, Crown Point Church. Oh, yeah, he does owe me a lot. And, uh, hey, I'm, I'm so grateful for uh, Pastor Dennis and Nicole to uh, allow me to come and share this pulpit this morning. But before we get going, uh, during the worship, I, I, I just felt the Lord speaking today. Um, and I'm kind of cautious about marking things, but I just felt a word for someone today. And um, we just celebrated Thanksgiving. And I don't know about you, Thanksgiving was weird at my house this week. Like, my wife couldn't find tur- a turkey, so we ended up ordering from Jack Stack. So we had barbecue for, 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 for Thanksgiving. I know it's weird, but thank God for Jack Stack barbecue. But uh, anyway, I just, while we were worshiping uh, that last song, the Lord really impressed in my heart a word for someone today. This was your thanks, first Thanksgiving without somebody. And maybe you're here today and you've been asking all week long, God, do you really, really love me? Because if you did, this would not be the case right now. And uh, maybe you've questioned God's love for you all week long. And I just want to share with you a, a word from the Lord today. That song was specifically for you. He wants you to know how much he loves you and cares about you. And if my pastor used to always say, if if you were the only one alive on this earth, he would have died just for you. So would you receive that from the Lord? Would you just receive that that word? Uh, Call it whatever you want to call it, uh, but just receive that from the Lord this morning. Um, I, I found out that I have a gift that I'm supposed to open. This is scary. So um, I'm going to do that. Um, I have no idea. This is the prankster guy. You know, he's been a youth pastor all of his life, other than being now your pastor. But So this is scary for me. This is really... Anyway, so I'm going to open it. I'm supposed to open this thing. Ah. Gates Barbecue, see, I, I knew he, uh, he, um, he must have known that I was having barbecue. What else do we got here? Uh-oh, a shirt. There you go. He's, he's a good friend. It's an Arthur Bryant's shirt. <laughs> see, he knew I was having barbecue. For, so Arthur Bryant's, and uh, it looks like a gift card. Thank you so much. Pastor Dennis and, and Sister Nicole, awesome. I received that as a gift unto the Lord and a prophetic word that I was supposed to have Jack Stack barbecue for Thanksgiving. Thank you for, uh, again, for allowing me to be here. Some of you might not know who I am, so I wanted to just give you a little bit of a uh, background. Here's my family, my growing family. Uh, that's my oldest son, Abram. He is now 22. This semester just graduated from Evangel University and uh, with a degree in biblical studies. He's following his dad's footstep. I tried to talk him out of it. 
but apparently the Lord put a call in his heart. He's continuing his uh, schoolwork at Evangel, finishing out a master's degree by next December. So that's him on, on my right, and the gal standing between us is his fiance. They are getting married, oh my goodness, December the 19th. So in about three weeks, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to gain a, uh, a daughter. So if you notice, Diana's happy about that because she's surrounded by a bunch of boys. And uh, that's my son, uh, Torrance. Right next to me is my beautiful wife, Diana. And then our two youngest sons. I started, just call me Father Abraham. Um, that is set, uh, six-year-old David next to me and four-year-old uh, Isaiah, who is a spitfire. And the reason why he's bald right there is because he found my shaver and shaved a portion of his head, and it did not look good, so we had to shave it all off, and that's why he's bald. He's like the little avatar. Anyway, so as you can tell, life at the Bagunu household is pretty full, and we're excited about what God is doing um, we are so grateful for the, the Lord, and having six-year-old and a three-year-old, life is pretty hectic at our house. So uh, our, uh, a couple of months ago, Isaiah put on his Superman outfit costume, and he's twirling around, he's spinning, jumping, he's, he's, he's shooting me with his web, and so I've decided, well, okay, you're, you're Spider-Man, and so I've played along, and we're just shooting each other with our webs, and he's, you know, he's got his Spider-Man costume on, and his six-year-old, of course, couldn't stand the fact that his, his brother is Spider-Man, so he sc- scuttles back to his room, puts on his Spider-Man outfit, and he comes back down, and of course, he's jumping around, twirling. He wants to get involved into this play that his three, four-year-old and I are getting, so he's jumping up and down, he's twirling, and he's spinning his web. You know how it is, at, at those of you that have kids, this happens all the time, doesn't it, in your house? One kid starts something, the other kid gets kind of like, oh, I'm getting outdone, or I'm, I, he can't, so there goes that situation, and, and you know how it goes, right? Some kid plays a toy and the other kid wants the toy. So now there's a fight going on because they can't learn to share, right? Because they got to compare each other. One has, is one up the other. So anyway, well, they're, they're, they are like realized they didn't have a mass. So they went and got a piece of cloth. Uh, his younger brother got his his mask on, and then, of course, the six-year-old understood he didn't have a mask. He saw his, his three-year-old brother have a, a mask, so he goes and grabs a mask. So now they're now both full-clothed Superman, and so here they are. They are just going to town. Yes, Superman at the Bagunu house. Of course, it wasn't the Superman costume face. The six-year-old couldn't find, and the three-year-old couldn't find it, so he found his underwear and stuck it over his head. But the six-year-old, not to be outdone by the three-year-old, finds his underwear and sticks it in his mouth. 
That's pretty funny, right? Yeah, that's those guys. Well, you know, when you compare yourself with somebody else, it's easy to do. They got an underwear on their head. Well, put, my, put an underwear on your head, right? Makes sense, right? Well, I grew up at Sheffield, as Pastor Dennis said, and, man, I had uh, my mentor is uh, Dr. George Westlake, and this is him and his uh, wife, Jean, and as a teenager, all you guys sitting on the front row, I sat under his ministry all those years. Man, that guy could preach. He could just flat out preach. And, and if you are called into the ministry and he's your idol and he's your mentor and you've lived under that umbrella all those years, there is that, the worst part about it is that you compare yourself with him. And there is... No comparison whatsoever. He's got a photographic memory. I could barely remember what I had yesterday afternoon for lunch, right? And, and he had no problems wearing red socks, flamboyant sweaters, and I was like the most conservative kid around, right? And it was like there was no way you could compare. But you know what? Being uh, back then that 20-some-odd-year-old kid, uh, had no clue. So I was going to Bible school, and, and they, were, uh, they told us how to preach in a class called homiletics. And uh, Dr. Westlake invited me to come and preach while I was in Bible school. He came. He said, hey, fell, come on up, preach on a Sunday morning. And back in those days, in those ancient days, guys, we didn't have iPads. We didn't have computers. What we had was typewriters. Some of you don't even know what a typewriter is. Well, they, and they, and back in those days, they didn't have typewriters that uh, auto-corrected. You know, that happened a few years later where this little white piece of eraser, would, you would just backspace and press the key again, and that little white thing would, we didn't even have that. So, like, you had to literally f- scroll up and, and erase it and scroll back down. It was a mess, right? Anyway, I wrote this thing out verbatim, 30 pages of, of sermon notes, word for word. So, back in those days, Dr. Westlake would go up just before he would preach, just like this. He'd, he'd, he'd pray and he goes, let's pray. And then he'd, he'd pray this prayer every Sunday, every time he preached. Lord, I pray that your word would go forth in the demonstration and the power of the spirit of the living God. I pray that that we would not be enticed by man's wisdom, but your word will go forth in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I thought, well, if he prayed that prayer, I'm praying that prayer when I preach on that Sunday. So so if you, you know, I compared myself, so get up there preach. Before I preach, I prayed. I prayed that same prayer. My 30 pages of notes lasted 15 minutes. And then I said, dang, I'm done. 15 minutes for him was an introduction. I'm like, oh my gosh. So anyway, that, that, you know what happened. That, that was a miserable comparison failure on that stage that day. I remember him sharing the story about the difference between uh, men and women and how 
uh, we compare each uh, to each other, how we compare ourselves to each other. And, and, you, and as you know, he wears, you know, just really flamboyant stuff, red socks every day. It didn't matter, by the way. It didn't matter if he wore brown. He's wearing red. It's like it doesn't even match. It's like if you're, you know, worse, he doesn't care, right? So he tells this story about between him and his wife, the difference between men and women, how we compare each, each other. And, uh, and if you would go to him and tell him that that is the ugliest sweater that you've ever seen, he said, well, probably a week from now I'd have forgotten it. But if you would have seen his wife and you, one of the ladies told his wife, that is the ugliest dress there is. How could anyone wear that dress? Well, anyway... Dr. Westlake says, a millennium from now, when you reach heaven, Gene's going to point you out to Jesus and say, that woman that Sunday said to me, that was the ugliest dress she's ever seen. I, I love this story, that, uh, this, uh, this quote that I found from uh, Chelsea. Uh, she writes in her blog, here's what she says, we all fail to so easily fall into the trap of comparing ourselves to others, that our lives become all about how rep- they're represented on social media rather than actually simply enjoying the little things in life. I've caught myself many times trying to get a super cute Snapchat of my son and then realize that I'm kind of ignoring him in my attempt to show all my friends how cute he is. Yeah, you knew this was going to be on this list. I couldn't leave it out. This may be just a personal issue, but you know what I'm doing the whole time I'm in the gym? I notice the girl that naturally has thinner thighs than me. I kind of want to pin her down and force feed her Krispy Kremes. (laughs) Isn't that (laughs) how we find ourselves in? We just celebrated Thanksgiving, and instead of being grateful and thankful for life, we end up living in that trap, the comparison trap. So would you, like, would you mind turning with me to Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 18? I'd like to read a couple of verses of scripture for us this morning. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. He told us this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But that tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, In order for us to fully understand this passage of Scripture this morning, I just want to talk to you about a couple of things 
radical differences in that day in first century BC regarding the Pharisee and the tax collector. For those living in Jesus' day, Pharisees were the most pious people in Palestinian Jewish society. But tax collectors, on the other hand, were the most despicable, often considered traitors by the Jewish people. They had sold out to Rome. Pharisees would not want any tax collector as witnesses at any kind of trial or any honorary officers. So in order for us to kind of catch a glimpse of how this thing plays out in our world today, maybe the Pharisee for us would be the most devout Sunday school deacon in our church as compared to some murderer or some drug dealer or a crooked businessman or a politician. Jewish people considered one to be pious when one begins to thank God for his righteousness rather than taking uh, ownership over it. So the first hearers of this parable that Jesus uh, would say would think the Pharisee would not as someone who is boastful, but rather someone who is grateful to God for his piety. Most of them fasted two days out of the week, and they were very meticulous regarding the tithe so that they counted every tithe given under the law, which would almost mount up to 20% of their income. But standing with their eyes lifted to heaven was a rather typical posture of someone who is praying to the Lord. Beating one's breast, on the other hand, was a sign of great mourning, especially in, re- in response to repentance for sin. So the tax collector's prayer regarding mercy involved no fasting. It involved no kind of restitution, no paying of tithes. And certainly because of all of that, most who have heard him pray that prayer then Jesus' contemporaries would have seen and judged that tax collector as invalid. Jesus and his conclusion to the parable would have shocked the original hearers when he said that. But for most of us this morning, even as we read the text, it fails to to hit us because we're so accustomed to listening and hearing this parable. You see, as Jesus taught this parable to the people who had trusted in themselves to gain their righteousness and not from what God did for them, their trust in their own righteousness gave them the authority to compare themselves with others. Their righteousness, as Jesus describes, viewed others with contempt. Thank God I'm not like one of these. They viewed one of these with disdain. And the Pharisee sees himself far superior to this, to this man, this tax collector. As a matter of fact, and let's just, just be honest, the Pharisee saw himself better. So simply put, if you trust in your own righteousness, you will despise or strongly disapprove others. It's easy to compare yourself with others when you believe you're more righteous. You are better because you don't do what they do. 
you are superior because you do this and this and they don't. It's simply a comparison trap. A trap that when you trust in your own righteousness and determine your own righteousness is superior from those around you. So what happens? What happens when you fall into this trap? Well, first of all, I think when you fall into this kind of comparison trap, comparison just kills contentment. Here's what Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test his own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. You see, guys, comparison kills contentment because someone will always look better. Someone will always have more. Someone will always live in a nicer house. They'll drive a nicer car. They'll have nicer clothes. They will have the better looking girlfriend or the, or the good looking boyfriend. You can't be content when you're constantly comparing. You know, uh, I, I thought about that because someone shared with me a new app this week for, for Thanksgiving. And I downloaded it on my phone. Are you all familiar with Flip? It's, it's an app that if you figure out uh, all the stores that you want in this one app, it takes all those stores and puts, puts it into this one app and it takes all their sales and it puts it down and you have it all in one place. And then you can compare which store has the best sales. Has, has that happened to you already? Like, well, you're talking to your friend, and, 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 and uh, uh, the other day, I, I waited until Black Friday to buy a TV. And I bought the TV that I thought was a great TV, but guess what happened? Someone said, hey, did you know that this, that TV is on sale at such and such a place? And then I'm like, oh, dang. So someone got a better deal than I did. Has that happened already? Yeah, so comparison kills contentment. As a matter of fact, comparison leaves us prideful. Here's what the Pharisee said in Luke chapter 18, verses 11 and 12. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, like robbers and evildoers and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis, he says this, we say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. We can't help to be prideful when we think we are better than someone else. Pride has to put somebody down. And when you compare, it leaves you prideful. Comparison leaves you jealous. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 30 says, A peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Jealousy is like cancer in the bones. You know what? When you compare, jealousy will set in your heart. 
And when it sets in your heart, it is easy to see and say that God is blessing this person and not me. As a matter of fact, when that happens, we resent God's goodness in the lives of others and ignore God's blessing in our own lives. Do you resent God's uh, blessing in other people? When someone gets blessed, do you resent it and fail to remember that God has blessed you and blessed your life? Why do you ignore God's blessing on your life and resent God's goodness in others? Why? Because when you compare, it leaves you jealous. But this morning, I just want to share some good news for us that you and I can live a life without comparison. So I'd like to just give you a couple of principles so that you can live that kind of life, the life that God intends you to live. First of all, I just want you to know this. Principle number one, just recognize what you have. Here's Paul's word for us. Here's what he says in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any way and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, for I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Recognize what you have. What do you have? What do you have? We sang about it this morning. You have God's love. You have God's love. He has given to you without measure. You have a roof over your head. I'm just thinking you have a car, whether it's your car or your mom and dad's car. I don't know if anyone in this room walked to Crown Point this morning. Did anyone walk here? You have a car. You have running water. Um, Our youth group, much like you guys, decided that they would take up the challenge this year to take a gift to um, do WorldServe. And uh, it's an organization that builds water wells in the most parched lands of our world. And uh, as a church, we wanted to help them out. So their goal was to raise, uh, I think, uh, $10,000. And they found someone who would match their gift. So uh, that would mean 20, and so they're $5,000 short, so we decided, hey, if they raise the 20, the church would take $5,000, and now they would be able to give $25,000, and that's what it would take to build a water well 
in one of the worst parts of the world where there is no running water. I was just thinking about that because we just moved into a 95-year-old house. We went from a 2,700-square-foot home to a 1,700-square-foot home, and, um, and it has its problems, right? Um, and one of the problems is um, the pressure of the shower. So down in the main uh, bathroom is a shower, and uh, we are having our my mom living with us now. We're going to have her live with us. And so it has to be a place. So she's 86 years old. And so she has to have, it, it has to be accessible to her. And so it's a shower, and, 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 uh, and so she can just walk right into it. But, man, there is no pressure in that shower head. So guess what I do? I don't take a shower there. I have to go up the, the next level up to the boys' bathroom to go take a shower there because it's got more pressure. And I'm complaining about the pressure of the shower when there are parts of our world today who, peop- who, who we have people walking hours to get a bucket of water to carry back to their village in order to have water for the day. I have water. Recognize what you have. When you do, you realize how God has blessed you. Second thing I would like to say is this, is that if you recognize what you have, you have to accept who you are. Here's what uh, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. By the way, just a little Greek side note for this verse of Scripture, just to let you know that, that, word, that word workmanship it talks about a tapestry, a, a, you know those beautiful things that you embroider if, if you saw it, and you look outside and you see the, the intricate details of that, of that tapestry, but when you flip it on its backside, you realize it's all jumbled up, Right? Because that's how the, the workman did it. That's how he wove this beautiful picture. You only see the front, but in the back you see it's all messed up, so to speak. Until you turn it around and see the work of this artisan, you realize how powerful it is. Sometimes all we can see is just the bad side of ours. All we can see is the, the stuff that, that we constantly mess with. All we can see is the, the times that we've fallen flat on our face and, and we say to ourselves, man, what an awful person you are. And you realize that, man, I just wish I was so-and-so. Man, they, they seem like they got it together. They pray and God answers their prayer. I've been praying about this forever. God hasn't said anything yet. And it's hard. 
this morning I just want to share with you. You are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for the good works he's prepared beforehand. Accept who you are. And that happened a long, long time ago at Sheffield. I realized I can never be Dr. Westlake. I can only be me. I, I, I uh, can't wear red socks. So I got to wear pink socks. I got some on today. Yeah, I do. It's matching my, my yellow watch. <laughs> it's hard to compare when we build our righteousness. But aren't you grateful this morning that God loves us? And there is no longer no any condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me just uh, end our time with you today by just telling you. You know, when you pastor a church and you do what you do, it's sometimes hard not to compare. Like, for the last 10 years, we've been doing mobile church. You know what that means? It means every Sunday, Pastor Dennis is experiencing that now this morning. We are at the Stanley, and we load in uh, at 8.30, and we bring in all of our stuff, and we set it up, and then we, um, after service, we unload it back into a trailer. That happens every Sunday. What you see here, what you see in, in, in kids' church, everywhere else, that gets put into the Stanley. It comes out. So this morning when I came to your church, I drove up to your, oh, drove up. I'm like, God doesn't love you, though. He has kept you humble by doing mobile church. They've got pews, fell. Nice, comfortable pews, and you got rickety chairs. And just name it. Even this morning, as I was preparing for this sermon, I, I found myself comparing and I found myself saying, God, does God really love me? Because it sucks. Every time, and it feels like you're, a sec- you're second rate. It feels like no one notices because they have it better. That's not God, that's not how God wants to live you to live.
And this morning, I am so thankful that I get to share this time with you. And it gives me great hope because ultimately, God is not partial. He loves me as much as he loves you. He loves me as much as he loves Pastor Dennis. And if I could just simply recognize what I have, if I could just acknowledge who I am, God can set me free from comparing myself to other people. And maybe you're here this morning and you feel trapped and you say to yourself, Does God really love me? I mean, some people have it better than I do. They have more than I do. There's always going to be that someone that has more than you. But I am grateful today the one thing that God wants from me is me. The one thing that he wants from you is you. So would you just um, help me close our service today by just uh, bowing in a word of prayer with me today? Maybe someone this week has just been caught up in this struggle. Maybe you're here this morning and and you've never committed your life to the Lord. And you find yourself falling short every time because someone else has it better than you. I'm just going to challenge you today to allow the words to penetrate to your heart. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your own personal Lord and Savior, it's not about coming to church. It's not about attending a youth group. It's not about coming here to Crown Point Church. It's about having a personal relationship with Jesus, God's Son. If you've never yet made that decision, I'm just going to challenge you. That is the greatest decision you can make. So if you're here today and you've never made that decision, I just, would you do this? Would you just pray a simple prayer, mean it from your heart as we close our service this morning? Just pray a simple prayer like this. Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Today, right now, this church, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Today, I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you and praise you
that you love us deeply. How deep, how high, how wide, how long is God's love? Lord, I just pray that you would just speak to that one person today in the middle of thanksgiving. Help them truly understand the depth of your love. And we offer ourselves up to you today and thank you that you decided a long time ago that we were worth it. That you would send your only begotten son full of grace and truth to die for me to die for us. And today we receive that love from the Father. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Hey, guys, thanks so much for allowing me to come this morning. And uh, would you mind saying uh, a big thank you to Pastor Dennis for me? And I hope and pray that you all have a great, great Christmas holidays. God bless you guys. Thank you so much.